So this final episode speaks for itself. I'll let you just listen. Most people take a good month or two after having a heart attack off work. You were back at work in the new year, were you? Uh, yeah, so we have a company shut down anyway for the week, 10 days. Now, I remember the owner's son was due to come to our place for work for training uh, starting at the beginning of the year. I remember getting a message from my boss while I was in the hospital going, will you be back in time to start the training for the new guy? So I said, okay. So within two weeks, I was back at work and in full mode training and doing what I normally do. So I think I had two weeks off for the heart attack. So that takes us to 2022. I think that it's fair to say that you've been up and down in your health in the last couple of years, complicated by the fact that they detected a growth in your stomach after you had a bit of a bleed. That was quite a harrowing time. Okay, the bleeds, yeah, they cause a lot of escapades. The very first one actually happened while I was away at work, and, and occasionally I'd stay at a local hotel to save me travelling. The first time was I stayed in this local hotel. I wasn't feeling great the night before. <laughs> um, obviously, I woke up in the morning and felt really quite ill again. I went to try and have a shower where I got into the hotel bathroom, passed up, smashed my head open, on the on the rim of the toilet as I went down and woke up, I don't know how long later, in a pool of blood and jet black feces. So I'd had a proper blackout. So I managed to get myself showered, lay down for half an hour to try and get some sense back into myself. Took my car to my office and got one of the guys to drive me to the hospital. So about two hours later I got to the hospital. I'm in the A and E there, um, passing out, vomiting blood virtually rolling around on the floor because I kept falling off the seat. And eventually someone came to see me and took me into the triage area and went, oh, you're quite sick. Uh, we haven't got a bed. Come and sit over here for now. And then I ended up in hospital for a week and a half while they kept doing tests. And eventually I got discharged from there, went home, and I was due to go and get a blood test down at the UCLH. And because I wasn't feeling particularly great, normally I'd jump on the tube and go down and get it all sorted myself. But uh, the first time round, AD quite kindly said, I'll take you down, you're not feeling great. So that morning he came around to pick me up. I'm not feeling great, I'm quite nauseous, but I'm going to, we're going to go in the car, it's a nice car with his nice shiny white leather seats. And we start driving down and I'm starting to feel quite ill at this point. And I'm, I'm drifting in and out of consciousness. We get down to, towards Hampstead Way, and he goes, let's just drop you into the Royal Field. Let me drop you and go in there. I said, not a chance. I said, if I don't go into Macmillan, it causes chaos. We need to get to Macmillan. So anyway, we get through a load of traffic. We finally get down there, and I, I'm in a lot of trouble at this point. I, I, I can, I'm practically conscious. He drops me off on the corner opposite. There's a, a corner opposite the UCLH A&E. That's, it's not an easy place to stop. It's quite busy. So I remember this. I'm hanging off a signpost to keep myself upright while Christie's just closing doors and Hades he stopped there. He stopped traffic. And I remember this Royal Mail van, this horrible driver, giving me a load of abuse for being ill on the roadside. It was a mental note to myself when I get back to work, I'm stopping using Royal Mail as my business partner, which I did. So we crawled into the AAD Macmillan Centre. I promptly then started projectile vomiting blood everywhere. 
and passing out. And the, the difference between the one hospital was amazing. The 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 A and E down there hit the crash buttons. There was people out instantly. I was straight in a, into a bed and straight into resource with doctors and nurses all over me. They were just amazing, just incredible. You don't until you actually see it firsthand. You just not understand the skill that's involved in doing this. So before I know it, I've got cannulas in both arms. I'm being pumped with this stuff and that stuff. They're testing this, they're testing that. And they'd stabilise me within 20 minutes. Obviously then, you know, I was very pleased with myself because I was literally trying not to vomit an A-nice car, which I achieved. Then I was in for a few weeks then while they're trying to deal with the, the stomach um, growth, which was quite hard to shift. So I ended up in hospital for another five weeks. I think I hit my record of all time at that point. By the time I'd left there, I'd done 15 blood transfusions. About six weeks later, again, going down for a, a, a scheduled blood test, planned blood test. And again, I wasn't feeling very good. And another friend of ours, Brendan's kindly said, I'll take you down in his nice brand new car. And I've brand new Range Rover, he's taken me down in a beautiful car. We're going down and it starts happening again. I um, feel nauseous. I'm starting to get lightheaded. We're driving we get down to like King's Cross area and apparently I pass out totally. Brendan's having a, a panic attack now. He reaches over to me and uh, he, he, he puts his fingers on my neck to try and find my pulse. Turns around to Christine, shakes his head and says he can't find a pulse. He swears I'm dead. <laughs> so he, he jumps out the car. I happened to be a police car behind. He screams at the policeman, he's dead, help me. So I started to come round at this point. And I'm oh, sorry, lads, I fell asleep. And the policeman's there and goes, well, the hospital's just up there, you've got to take him there. He goes, can't you help me? And the policeman kindly refused, which shows you the state of our police force. So Brendan's now breaking every traffic law, breaking traffic lights where just to get me there as quickly as possible. And again, same thing, straight into A&E, projectile vomiting blood. I'm pointing out again, I held the vomit in, so I didn't do it in Brendan's car. And straight into resource, and again, they were just amazing. If you ask anyone to give you a lift to hospital, then they should probably say no. Yeah, I would, for sure. <laughs> but at least you will keep their car clean. Yeah, I've had a good record of not vomiting in anyone's car. It's clearly getting quite hairy for you. Where are you now with your treatment? After that time, I was captain, obviously. I was in for quite a long time. They were really having difficulties in controlling this internal bleeding. I had several endoscopies. Everything was inconclusive. So they tried to give me some treatment to try and shrink the stomach growth, which didn't work. And at this stage, they were very honest. And they said, we think this could be the end now. We haven't got any more treatment for you. We can't control this. We'll probably think you've got six weeks left. I said to them, I said, okay, can I get out of this hospital? That's my first protocol. And they said, yeah, we can plan this. We can work it out. But there is a option. A There's something that's not on the NHS that's available. It's done through the pharmaceutical companies. I have to tell you, we don't know, it might kill you. It's a treatment that's only being trialled on a certain number of people. It's not done through the NHS. It's all at your own risk. It's killed people. To which point I think I took all the five seconds to say, yes, let's do it. 
but if you look at it in the cold light of day and, and without emotion, I'm going to die anyway. What's to lose? And, and that was my immediate thought process. It doesn't matter. I'd rather die doing something than not than say to my boys, I just give it. That weekend, they did let me out. I very quickly thought, I know, I'd, I'd like to be at my own wake. So we organised a quick party to invite all our friends and family down. And I had an afternoon of everyone. So if I didn't make it, at least I'd seen everyone and done. And then on the following Monday, I went back in and started the treatment. Fair to say, I reacted well to it. I'm not dead. Slowly getting a bit stronger. There are some brutal side effects, I have to say. That's probably the worst I've ever experienced in all my time doing this. Um, for those that don't know me, I love food, I love cooking. And this one has pretty much taken that away. Are you thinking you're running out of options? Or do you think there's always going to be something for you? Yeah, I have to be honest, there's no options. Everything I do now is a risk. Like it wasn't before anyway. But this one, they... The doctors were very clear and offered me this, saying it's a good chance it's going to kill me. But I was going to die anyway, so what difference does it make? But it's, all, it's the way forward. So worst case scenario, at least the data they get from someone like me is going to help them improve it for the next person. I think it's a significant turning point because you've always been a very private person. Why is it important that your friends and family in particular hear your thoughts on this as you say it's never something i'd be interested in doing i've always been kept myself to myself i know unless some miracle cure comes out i know i'm on the last road um i've accepted it i don't want it obviously i also know i'm not going to see certain things in my life that i want to see and that people should see and i know everyone doesn't I know it's part of the part of the world's life, but I want my children and my wife to know how much I love them. Um, and this is the bit that does upset me. I'm quite tough with those stuff. You know how I'm going to miss watching them get married or watching them have children, and never holding my grandchild and telling how much I love them. I just want them all to know, and my friends that I appreciate everything they've done for me over the years. Going back to your wife. How, how has she been? Oh, amazing. So tough, so strong. It's her probably more than me every time we get a knockback. She soldiers too. She has to. We have no choice in this. We live a different life than most people. You know, we have to be careful booking holidays. We have to be careful about what we can do. She spends a lot of time going to functions on her own and things because I'm not fit to do it anymore. But she puts a brave face now. She does it. Obviously, internally inside in her own space at times we get quite upset we get quite down about it but it won't change anything there's no point being like that so she's just been amazing the whole way through it now i love it a bit her positivity match with my stubbornness is probably where we get the strength to do this from so there's no point in thinking about it until you do and that's how we look at it if it's staring us in the face yeah we'll do of it until that point let's live life as normally as we can let's have as much fun as we can try and do different experiences and bring up our kids the best we can. And if you were going to tell your boys about 
how this experience has made you reflect on life. What advice would you give them? Oh, they're just starting their life now in the real world. All I hope is they've seen that we don't give in. There's no excuse. Having, having an illness is not an excuse not to try. Just whatever gets thrown in your way, it doesn't matter. Just find a way around it. Try and achieve what you want to achieve. There's nothing stopping you. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Uh, and that's the most important thing. And that's the reason I did most of the things I did. And how would you like your friends to remember you? I probably can't say that word on air. <laughs> I had my friends consider me as a friend. Now I've always been honest and loyal. And we've always had good fun whenever we can. And I don't think they'll find a better cook. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. So if someone was listening to this podcast who didn't know you, who's just received a devastating diagnosis, what words of comfort could you give them sort of 12 years on in your journey? Comfort is not something I'm renowned for. It's not how I deliver things. But what I will say is the things that have kept me going are, first and foremost, I managed to accept my position, my diagnosis. I didn't do it straight away. It took me about three to six months to get my head around it. But once I got my head around it, I improved leaps and bounds. Well, I, I accepted I'm living with this. I'm not going to waste energy moaning and fighting against this. This has to be part of my life. So I embraced it. And that gave me the energy to then to move forward with good things rather than looking at negativity. The other thing I do, I did still do, is if a doctor tells me to jump, I just ask how high. I never question. I never ask anything. I say, yeah, you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. If you think it's going to work or give me a benefit, I'm in. All in. I've always responded well to medications. <clears throat> I think even if things seem challenging to you, give them a go. You can always stop. If it's challenging and whatever it is in life, just give it a go. I think the other thing that I've noticed in life, if you let it, people will try and be so good to you and try and look after you and try and do everything for you and make it so all you literally do is sit on the sofa, drink cups of tea all day. Don't let that happen. You have to give yourself self-worth. You have to achieve something in yourself. Otherwise, you just give up on life. You have to have something to get up for. So for me, working was important, especially progressing at work whilst having cancer. I achieved MD position in my job. I travelled the world in my job despite cancer. I, I used to stab myself or give myself injections in airport toilets. I remember a bad one like that because the needle got bent in Turkey and I'm trying to stick this bent needle in me to inject myself <laughs> before I could get out of plane. So the challenge is, but it's not insurmountable. Don't be afraid of what this is. Embrace it. There will be, be something around the corner to help you because they're improving so much all the time. Even now, and I've been told I'm a goner, it's all right. I think there'll be something along the lines. I do believe that when the push comes to shove and that risky trial needs to be taken, someone like me will take it because they've got no choice. And, and that's what I think. Just embrace it, live with it. <clears throat> Don't spend, waste energy fighting it. And then I think you'll have a much better life and a better prognosis. <clears throat> so from three months life expectancy in 2012, I'm still here with that theory. Are you scared of death? No. I've accepted it now.
I don't want it at all. I want, don't want it at all. But that's not because I'm scared of it. It's because I'm scared of what I'm going to miss out on. And there's a difference. I can get sad. The future makes me sad. The here and now, I would never let my kids see this, although they will know about it now. But it upsets me greatly that I could have missed their lives. Is there anything you want to do this year? I have a bucket lift, of course, like everyone else. But I just want to see my kids achieve. I'd love to get to somewhere to watch the last game of England cricket. Um, do a bit of fishing with the boys. Be able to taste food again would be lovely. I'd love to have a nice big fat steak that I can fully taste and enjoy. And a lovely glass of wine. Uh, and that, that would do me. That would be my last supper. Are there any pieces of music that help you get through this? Uh, yeah, uh, there, there is. Uh, and it's not what people would call music, I imagine, the mainstream. When I'm in my dark places or when I'm in a place that I know is not good and Christine probably knows when I get to these places because I get very quiet. I keep it internal. I don't say anything to anyone. I don't want to snap at people. Anger is an energy. I believe getting angry is good. I believe getting angry is helpful, channeled in the right way. And I get angry internally and I get really angry because I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this position. I don't want to be sick. I often hum sing this song in my head. It's the pill. I think it's called Rise. So yeah, that, that is my little theme tune in my head. So when I'm in them dark places when I'm scared to go to sleep, that's what I sing. It's quite a pumped up song. It's an angry song. That energy, I believe, gets me through. I think the I'm going to leave the final message for you, Craig. What do you want to say to your friends and family? Oh, first and foremost, thank you. You've all been amazing. Um, it's been a long journey here, goods and bads. Uh, it's all right. It's not the end. I'm going to come back. I'm still going to try and fight. I'm still going to try and do something. Anything I can do, I will do it. And I know that I'm blessed to have such good friends and family around me. And I really am. And more, I know how much it means to my wife and kids. So thank you all. And if anyone wants to ask me anything, feel free to contact me. I, I don't. I, I'm not the best person to flower things up. I'll be very blunt and brash in my answers. Unfortunately, that's the way I am. But I also think that's the way it gets me through life. Do you ever think you'll see Tottenham win the league? I think I can live to 100 and not see Tottenham win the league. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd like to say yes, but no is the answer. It's not going to happen, is no. it? No. Uh, I've got... I've got more faith in the cricket nowadays, although I've just watched England get thrashed by India. Yeah, but the sport is important. It keeps the mind fresh, keeps the, the heart fresh. I, I really loved uh, going involved in the sport with my kids and friends and etc. It's just do something, be active and try and get outside. Craig, I can say is that I've been a doctor for 25 years and there's very few people who do inspire me. You defy all of the stuff I've been taught around death, dying, cancer. I Honestly, the rule book just gets ripped up with you. I think you're an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you. It's not over yet. So for me, for the boys, for, for Christine, for everyone, it's all right. Could be wrong. I could be right. 
you'll be wrong.